nice yesterday. That warm air came through, all the snow melted. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, a month from now is mid-March, and it kind of is almost over, at least the big storms and all the cold. So just agree with me in prayer right now. Let's just... Well, I hope you're ready to study. I hope you're ready to look at some things, because uh, today uh, I'm continuing this series called One People. Pastor Jeff has launched us into the thoughts of clear back to Genesis when God desired a people and Moses and Abraham and the challenges of being the people of God and what it looks like for us to walk with God and trust God and serve God. Today I'm taking us into a New Testament frame of mind, the Gospels, where Jesus was born and did his ministry about 33 years on the earth with intense ministry around three, the last three years. And then he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. And that, that, those few years that he did ministry are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today I've, uh, we're going to continue the series One People, and I've called this message Turning the Tables. Turning the Tables. And you'll see why as we go through this. There's a story in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark is the one I'm going to refer to today, chapter 11, where Jesus goes into the the temple area and he actually turns over some of the tables. Why would he do that? Well, let's look at it. I'm going to jump right in because I'm going to use the outline to actually read the text. And so if you have a bulletin, go to the back page and just follow along. And then I'll read the text after I give you the first point. Number one in your outline is this. Jesus brings a true reality check. A true reality check. He's bringing a reality check to believers, to followers, to to people who were Jewish people who thought they were serving God, but maybe didn't understand who he was as the son of God. So let's look at it. Mark 11, 15. When they, meaning the disciples, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He literally went into that arena. If you can just imagine the temple area, I'll tell you about it in a second. And he is physically throwing over these tables with all this stuff on the top of it. And it's going everywhere. To, to an onlooker who didn't know who he was or why he was doing it, he must have looked like a, a crazy man, just out of control. And, and think of it this way. Um, the temple area in Jerusalem has been called, quote, 30 acres of piety and power, end quote. In Jesus' day, it was the epicenter of Jewish national life. No doubt about it. The temple boasted of having walls that were up to 300 feet high. There were, there were stones in those walls that weighed more than 30 tons each. It was just amazing that they even could build uh, such a place. The Jews actually had a proverb that went like this, quote, He who has not seen the holy place in its detailed construction has never seen a splendid building in all his life, end quote. For many, the temple was sort of their pride and joy. It was like an enduring symbol of national hope because the Romans were in charge and and they led with oppression. And so this was sort of that one escape point that the Jewish people could come together and honor their God. 18,000 priests and Levites were in charge of the temple area. <laughs> Can you imagine that? They, Rome posted just down the street from this area 
uh, five to six hundred Roman guards lived there because they knew at any moment there could be an uprising and they would have to take it uh, under control. And, and in Jerusalem, just to give you a feel, typically around 25,000 people in Jesus' day, when they had these festivals like this, uh, it could swell to over 180,000 people. So this is a busy time. It's, it's an amazing what's hap- it, what has happened. And, and here's why Jesus was going to uh, went in there and, and turned over these money tables. Um, it made him angry. First of all, typically we hear about the money changers and how this provoked Christ. And it did. Here's what was happening. People would be at a table selling animals to sacrifice in the temple area. They had to bring an unblemished sacrifice. So the people who would look at their, sac- their sacrifice, their animal, they could deem that it was not unblemished. And they would say to them, sorry, this animal doesn't pass the test, but over here you can buy an animal that it's unblemished. And they had a, quite a little scam going here, and they were making a lot of money because it was subjectional. And so then they would go over, because they wanted to worship God. See how horrible this is? They would have to buy this particular animal for the sacrifice. And then they would have to do an exchange of currency. And during the currency exchange, they would go to the exchange tables, and the scales would not be accurate or right, and it would profit the people in the temple. It would rip them off. They were stealing is what they were doing. It's like exchanging your money at an airport. You know what I'm talking about? And it's just a bad exchange rate. And so Jesus had had it. He was sick of this. It's not, it's not the way it was supposed to be. It's not what he or God had had in mind. And by the way, let me just say this now while I'm thinking of it. Every probably once or a year or so, it's not very often, but I just thought since I'm preaching on this, it would be a good time to say it. I get a random email or a, a, a comment card or letter or someone who says to me, and it's never signed, but it'll say, do you think if Jesus came to Timberline, he would overturn the tables in the mall? Well, my answer is no. And that actually shows the lack of understanding of what was happening in Mark 11. Uh, I think Jesus might sign up for some stuff at our tables in the mall. Uh, that's about it. And even if we do sell product, we don't force people to buy it. It's simply an opportunity. So whoever you are, stop it. Yeah. That was my little moment that I wanted to have. Um, but here's the, here's the biggest thing. And, and this is bigger. And this is the stuff you might not know. Um, the, the place all this was happening, most theologians believe, was in a place called the court of the Gentiles. Now, I want you to think about this with me. There was just this small area that was designated for travelers and people who came to Jerusalem because of their faith that were non-Jewish. You know, a huge percentage would be Jewish. But this court of the Gentile was the only place that the Gentiles could go in order to sacrifice and worship God. They used that particular place to do all their selling and bidding. Thus, taking that away from the Gentiles to be able to pray and worship and honor God. I think that's what ticked off Jesus more than anything else, is the church was actually practicing something that was keeping people away from God. And that poses the big question for us today to ask hard questions about Timberline, about us personally. Are there things that we do that keep people out?
do we become people who get in the way of people actually being able to see God? In Mark's Gospel, Jesus declares that the temple had always been intended to be a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7 is where Jesus is quoting from. For all nations. And now you have this area taken away. And I wonder sometimes if we don't sort of close our doors in an attitude way to people who are different than us, other nations. Than, is there prejudice that exists in our lives? Is there, or what are the issues that might keep people from wanting to worship with us? This is a huge question we need to answer. So let's, let's continue. Number two in your outline is this. The purpose and power of the table. The purpose and power of the table. Verse 16 says this, And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. Jesus came in, turning over the table, saying, this is not going to work. Why? Because Jesus had a different idea about the power of a table. Now, I'm just going to give you four, but there, there could be eight or nine in Scripture of how Jesus used the place of the table. And so let me just walk through a few of them. I brought some symbols to kind of recognize it. Number one, the table of friendship in your notes there. I'm just going to pull out a coffee mug here. And I'm just going to set it on the table. Because in our culture, friends meet for coffee. They meet for lunch. Hey, let me run by and let's catch up. There's no agenda. There's no reason for the meeting. It's just because we're friends and we want to talk a little bit. I, my life is probably 95% of my appointments are for a purpose, a reason. We're meeting to talk about something specific. I get that. That's my life. But However, I love those moments when you just hook up with friends and there's no agenda and there's nothing to solve. Jesus likes the table of friendship. He likes it when we spend time not just trying to solve stuff, but just to hang out and grow deeper in relationship. And he did it often. The second table that I want to mention is a table of discipleship. And for that, I just have my Bible that I just want to open up here because I think, I think if we can learn the power of the Word of God, and it might not be the Bible, it might be a study book that you're in with a friend. But when you gather around the table... All week long, we have this mall area at Timberline open and our cafes open. And, and so many of you take advantage of that free Wi-Fi. I know that's why you come and great coffee. But but it's wonderful because you'll walk out there and you'll see people with books open, Bibles open. They're talking, laptops open, they're studying, they're talking about the word of God. It's a discipling tool. How many times did Jesus have a meal with his disciples? He said, hey, go prepare the meal. We'll see you there in a minute. And they get it. They sit at a table. And he tells them a parable. He teaches them something new. He questions them. And all these great things begin to happen at the table of discipleship. Think about how this applies to your life. The third area that I want to talk about in the, in the idea of table is a place of, of reconciliation. I've, pr I've brought a Kleenex box with me. Because this is how we say, I'm sorry. Right? Let's practice together. I'm sorry. Say it with me. Come on. I'm sorry. That's the first time some of you have said that in years. <laughs> right, we have a, a wonderful man, Roy Plummer, who was on our pastoral staff for years when I first came. And, and uh, one day, I, I, I forgot about something. I forget even what it was now. And I came up to him and I said, Roy, I am sorry that I missed that or that I didn't let you know or whatever. And he looked at me and paused and he said, I don't see any tears. <laughs> he, he was just messing around with me. But the idea was, there are times we need to come to the table of reconciliation. 
a business deal goes bad between two believers. You need to sit down and talk about this. Um, in my marriage, Bonnie and I have come to a table of reconciliation. And I've had to say, honey, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking. And aren't you going to say you're sorry? <laughs> right? right? <laughs> Isn't that how we usually do it? <laughs> no, it's this idea that, that there is a table of reconciliation that Jesus causes toward. He hates it when this table is used and abused for those other things. The last table that I want to mention is just, I've just used the symbol of a cross because... It's really what it's all about. It's a table of communion where we commune. As a matter of fact, these are great words from Scripture that when Jesus actually got up from the table, the Bible says, at the Last Supper. Remember this story? It says he got up from the table. And the next thing it says is that he took off his outer garment, which was power and authority. And then it says he wrapped a towel around his waist. How many of you know what's coming? He began to wash the feet of the disciples. They had had a meal at the table. And that was a place of servanthood. It was a place of communion. It was a place of remembering who Jesus was and what he had done. So keep that in mind as you think about the table. I think that's why Jesus was so frustrated at all those tables in the temple because he saw a better use and he went and he saw the rip-off artist and he said, this is not okay. And there needs to be a passion and drive in us as believers and followers of Christ when we see injustice in our world that something cries out in us to say, this is not okay. I love our missionary Ron Bueno. I love the fact that we're going to go help these people and we're going to make a difference in their world. Why? Because it's just not okay the way they have to live. And we're going to help them. We're going to make a difference. Number three in your outline. Jesus reminds us to be others focused. And I'm telling you, you guys, I'm so happy to be a part of Timberline. And this isn't an arrogant thing bragging on you. It's a serving thing. You're, you're a giving church. It's just amazing to me that you give sacrificially. You are generous. You think about things. You're involved in community. It's, it's a powerful tool. It's what we need to be about. Look at verse 17. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple or my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is that Isaiah passage I was talking about. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Man, this set me back in these last few weeks looking at this to say, have we turned this into anything Other than what it's supposed to be. Is that convicting to you? I want you to know I'm thinking about that kind of stuff. And I think it's good for you to be thinking about that kind of stuff. I don't want us to turn this into anything except a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. Are we that? It's a a challenging thing. Do we welcome all ethnic groups, all brands, all who want to know more about God? Do we really? Is there prejudice that exists in our lives? It's, we all have pockets of prejudice, there's no doubt, depending on our history and our upbringing. But can we be a church that says we will be an open house that people might know God and find God? See, here's the dilemma. I'm going to say this real fast. Follow me on this. Sometimes, especially with people who have no faith in God, they're in a journey. And some of you might be sitting in these auditoriums right now. We welcome you. We, are, we hope you feel our welcome. This is a good place for you to journey in your search for God. Sometimes as believers, we immediately go to the, quote, sin issues in a non-believer's life and try to deal with that first. And I have news for you. 
dealing with a sin issue in a non-believer's life who does not believe this book is not the place to start. We love unconditionally. Now, if they claim to be a believer, we have biblical authority to deal with sin issue. But if they don't, we start simply with friendship and open arms and we welcome them. That's not compromising the word of God. Why? Because this book teaches truth. At Timberline, we're going to walk through this book always. It's the guide map. It's the road map for how we are to live. And so let's never compromise the message of this book. How many of you know this book confronts our lifestyles? It confronts us. So let's not add to that in someone else's life. The last thing, number four, is the revealing of the heart. Now, this is a tricky one because... It sort of goes with the text, but it's actually a result of what Jesus did. And it's very sad to me. The revealing of the heart. Verse 18. When the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, okay, these are the big shots, heard what Jesus had done, they praised God and said, wonderful. Now we have a cleansed temple. No, it doesn't say that. It says they begin planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. How sad is this? See, change is difficult. They were, they were having to lose identity with the way they wanted to do church. With their preferences, with their ideas. And we talk about this a lot. And I want to thank you today. I want to thank you for being people who will embrace change. Who will allow us to, to move some things around. Matter of fact, in a few weeks... I'm probably going to come at this 10 o'clock service and ask some of you to go to our video venue. Because, because it's a tight fit. And it's a crowded service. We're making some changes at the 10 o'clock hour with what that venue is going to be like in worship. And, and, and I'm going to tell you all about it. But people who embrace that opportunity to allow others to come, that's called maturity. Amen? If you with me, say yes. Okay, that's my volunteers right there. Thank you. I'm just kidding you there, but it's, it's a powerful thought. What is our response? I'm going to wrap up with four really quick things. Um, what is our response to this story? Number one, what is our response to authority? That, that's a huge thing. All authority is given. Jesus said all authority is given me. Even Jesus recognized it's given. I have no authority over you unless you give it to me. I don't care what my title is or role is. You don't really have authority over your kids unless they give it to you because of trust in your integrity. Oh, you can tell them what to do. You can, you can command something in your house when they're five, but they can walk away in rebellion too that, and, and not give you authority. All authority is given. Will I allow Jesus the authority to knock over a couple of tables in my life if he needs to? Number two, what is our response to truth? What is our response to to dealing with the truth in our lives. Are there lies in our culture, just like there were in Jerusalem that day, that we have slowly embraced and we don't even have a realize, we don't even realize, we don't even have a sense how far off track it is. Just because of our culture. We're like culturized. And young people, young adults, students, I, I just really challenge you to think about this. I was looking at all these young adults over here and Throughout these auditoriums. And I'm so grateful. You're such a, a part of who we are as a church. And you have it tough. And we pray for you. Because there are so many gray areas in our culture. And you're being pushed. 
You're being pushed to, it's not a big deal if you do this. And, and there's, there's a little compromise here and what you post on Facebook. And is that really gossip? Is that really you? Is that, is that mean for you to say that? Is that all these little things that all of a sudden happen in our lives and we have to step back and say, wait, is this the truth? Is this the truth? Am I going to walk in the truth? In my integrity, in my morality? Number three, what is my response to evaluation? Boy, this gets tricky here. Am I open to letting godly people speak into my life? (laughs) See, man, in our culture right now, I just see the minute you try to approach somebody with something defensive, well, I mean, it's just like this wall goes up. How dare you? Instead of maybe, maybe there's something I could learn here. Is there evaluation that needs to happen in our lives to make us closer to God? That goes along with the last one, correction. What is my response to real correction in my life? Now, I just want to make this really clear to you. I believe that you should allow correction in your life, but hear me, not from everybody. Okay? Okay, I would get derailed within 30 seconds if I listened to every voice that comes across my my, my path with everybody's opinion and this and that. No, that's not the point. I have trusted friends and people that I trust their integrity and their character. That when they come to me and say, Derry, this is something we see in your life. It's a little thing now, but we just want to bring it up. Are you okay? Is this happening? Bonnie, my greatest friend, can say, Derry, is there something here? We talk. There's correction that can happen in my life. I want that in your life. Or will I just shut it all down and say, I want the tables where I want the tables, and I'll do with the tables what I want to do with the tables. This is my life. It's my business. No, please don't do that. Why? Because God loves you more than that. He wants you to reach your fullest potential. And He wants you to live in the fullness of what the Spirit is saying to your life. And I want that for you as well. Let's pray together, Lord, today. It's a convicting day. But it's also a team day. We're doing this together. One people. Together for the journey. That's more than a theme to us today, Lord. We really want to be your people doing life together. We want you to smile on how we do church. And we want to change the things that don't please you. Lord, look upon us and see if there's something that we do that blocks a clear view of you. We want want to hear that. We want to know that. We're open to your correction, to your leading, to your guidance. We care about the lost of the city. We care about people who never once think about you. Help us to make a difference, Lord. As you have your heads bowed just in a moment of prayer, you don't need to raise your hand to this. You can if you want to, but it's between you and God. Could you think of one or two things right now that you believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to maybe grab a hold of that table and turn it over a little bit is there an attitude maybe it's about relationship maybe it's about finances stewardship responsibilities I don't know morality has it just happened subtly and now you're in a place that if you really did let Jesus in he might turn the table on you and you probably already know he would But it's going to take you giving him authority because Jesus is not going to plow through you. Would you give him authority? 
to turn over that table in your life. Examine that attitude. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to really consider if you're a welcoming person. Will you love people before you judge them? If they look different, act different, share a different political view. But what is it that that causes us just to love those who are like-minded? When Jesus spent his life dying for people who hated him. Can we do a little bit of that? Can we trust that God will lead us to the table with people who are very different than us? People who don't even believe in God yet. But they could be our friend. And God could change their lives and change us as well. Lord, help us, I pray. Lord, for those in these auditoriums that may not know you personally, I ask for strength to confess their sin to you now. If this is your day and you just want to pray a prayer with me, if you feel separated from God, just pray this right now from your heart in faith, the Bible says. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose from the dead and I give you my life now. Thank you for helping me to forgive myself. I trust you for my future. May it be yours, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love you guys. It's so fun to be doing life with you together for the journey. I have one last challenge before we take a missionary offering, which I love. Would you think about it in the next month? Because I want you to give some thought to it. Maybe it's a neighbor you don't know well, so a co-worker. Would you think about having a person who you know really doesn't follow Christ? Would you think about having them to your table? Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's taking them to lunch or dinner. But would you just think about that opportunity that you might have to invest in someone that maybe doesn't see life quite like you? Not to convert them. Okay, not to put a little notch in your gun. But to just say, I just want to know who you are. Tell me about your life. And give first. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Uh, here at Timberline, if you're not familiar with the first time, uh, we have we have pastors and we have a prayer team that's up here. If you'd like to come and uh, meet with them, talk to them and pray, they are available for you and we love doing that. Otherwise, you are dismissed into weather that is better than we deserve, don't you think? It's amazing. God bless you.